0: Vance Wilson, and welcome to Clubhouse Conversation.
1: They come from all corners of the world, and they descend on towns everywhere. Burlington, North Carolina, Idaho Falls, Idaho, Lexington, Kentucky, Wilmington, Delaware, Springdale, Arkansas, Papillion, Nebraska, and Kansas City, Missouri. What do all these men have in common? They work together to win. It's time to talk to another Royal on Clubhouse Conversation. What's up, Royals fans? It's Devo, extremely excited about being able to bring to you a guy like Vance Wilson today on Clubhouse Conversation. Vance Wilson, who currently serves as manager of the Northwest Arkansas Naturals, who perhaps have become the most exciting Royals affiliate to follow this summer with the addition of Hunter Dozier and Christian Benford to an already impressive pipeline of prospects they have down there in Northwest Arkansas. We'll talk all about that with Vance Wilson and, of course, plenty about his playing career as well. Wilson is a former catcher, played parts of eight seasons at the Major League level, including times with the Mets and Tigers, where he was with the likes of Mike Piazza, Yvonne Rodriguez, Bobby Valentine, Jim Leland, and many others. Let's talk all about this with Vance Wilson, current skipper of the Northwest Arkansas Naturals. Thanks for joining us, Vance, and how's everything going?
0: things are good uh obviously it's nice to be home in arkansas and it's nice when your team's playing a little better and so things are good
1: yeah you guys uh, are in first place right now in the second half so far so how how, are you, how do you feel like the progress is coming along this year
0: well it's good you know typically the track record especially the the core group of guys on this team that i've had before typically a little below the league when they start uh they struggle a little early but uh they usually make a pretty nice comeback in the second half just Fundamentals get better, they catch it to the league, and and, it seems like when the weather warms up, the team warms
1: up. Well, a lot of people probably already know this, but some may not. So you're a a year-round resident, then, of Springdale there in Arkansas. So how did a Mesa, Arizona kid end up living in Springdale, Arkansas? Uh,
0: The shortened version is uh, I signed to play with the University of Arkansas uh, for a scholarship, and in, in that whole... Uh, transaction. I met who is now my wife, who's from this area. So I didn't go to Arkansas. I signed pro at the Mets, but um, in that whole deal, uh, my wife Bridget and I actually became a couple, long-distance couple, so I moved here. It's been home for 20 years.
1: What a cool story. That's a great story. Uh this- <laughs> So, We're you're an Oprah Winfrey sport, yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, you're a great person to ask about this, then. A lot of people uh, here in Casey, then, you know, make the three hour trip down to Springdale often. It's a great trip each summer. I come down, uh, so you know, great places around there. People always talk about Eureka Springs and the Turpentine Creek Animal Sanctuary and all these other neat places. You know, I'll of course, see, uh, you know, uh, Fateville and all that, but. F- is, you could be kind of a virtual tour guide here for so for somebody coming down there, what should we see? What are some underrated you know points around the Springdale area to check out?
0: Well, yeah, I think the biggest thing is it's, it's obviously the natural state for a reason. So you got Crystal Bridges, uh, which is an incredible art museum and, and area uh, in the Bentonville Rogers area. Uh, you got Beaver Lake, which uh, we're, we're fortunate enough to spend a lot of time on. Uh, very nice recreational lake. Uh, you got the University of Arkansas. Um uh, Which always has stuff going year round not only sports, but uh you have you have the Walton Arts Center, which brings in off Broadway type plays um you can really get anything you want in this area,
1: yeah, I was down there last year, went to the Bill Clinton house there on his birthday, got free admission and some cake. that was kind of cool. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. So you can get anything you want. Yeah, exactly. So let's come back and talk more about your time you know, here in Arkansas right now. But before we do, let's go way back then for a couple of minutes and talk about the old days. Like we mentioned, you went to Red Mountain High School in Mesa, Arizona. Then you stayed there for college at Mesa Community College. And then the Mets took you in the 44th round back in 93. So when you first entered college then, did you ever expect in a million years that you'd be drafted someday? Uh,
0: no, I was actually a walk-on, and I actually redshirted. Um, a year. So I was at the junior college for three years. So typically if you're a shirt at a junior college, uh, I don't think major league or even professional baseball for the most part is in your future. So I, I was a late bloomer. I uh, had a coach by the name of Zeke Zimmerman uh, that was our catching guy that built me from the ground up. And it ended up being obviously one of the better moves I ever did as far as baseball, um, deciding to go there. So, no, I, I didn't expect to get drafted. Then I was a drafted and follow, so I was actually drafted after my freshman year uh, and signed after my sophomore year.
1: Huh. How did the Mets find you then and uh what do you remember about draft day?
0: Um I uh, the biggest thing was um the the Mets uh scout at the time RJ Harrison who's now the the Tampa scouting director uh lived close to my junior college um and just, you know, obviously that was his area. Being a draft and follow he can come watch me play, um, obviously through the whole season of my sophomore year. Um, I think was, was the, uh, the the biggest thing and the way the relation came relationship came with the Mets was that, just that. We were together a lot. I think he lived about 20 minutes from my junior college.
1: Huh. Well, so you were in the minor leagues mainly from 94 to 99 then, before you made your major league debut. When you think back then, I'm sure you probably had to, especially your first couple of years in pro ball, had to probably even fight to get in the lineup even at the minor league level. So what do you think of when you think back to those years in the minor leagues?
0: Uh, I think the, the two things. One, I, it was very surreal. Um, you know, I mean, you go from, you know, junior college where you're living at your parents' house also now you're on the East Coast. I'd never been east of uh, Arizona. Uh, now you're out there and you're battling against not only guys that uh, are in the same boat as you, but guys that are from other countries that are in different boat as you come into the, our country. Um, and, and the second thing I, I recall is just the grind. I mean, people don't understand what, what the grind of baseball is. Playing 140 or 142 games in 153, 154 days. East Coast hot. You know, I was a catcher. I was a sweat hog. <laughs> uh, just the grind of, of going to the field every day to compete, to win the game, and get better.
1: Well, and I have to think those minor league days have really helped you now as you, you, know, you become a manager your fourth year in the Royal System. So, I mean, because you're kind of the best of both worlds. So you kind of were the underdog taken later in the draft. and But then you made the major league. so you kind of understand, you know, the, the quote-unquote the bonus babies. You can understand what they're going through. You can understand what it was like being, you know, an underdog. So do you feel like that's kind of helped you quite a bit relate to guys in your locker room now?
0: I, I think so. And I try to tell my guys, too, that, look, there, there's nothing that you're going to go through uh, in your career that I haven't been through. Um, or at least have experienced one of my teammates going through. Um, and so, yeah, because really, you know, the the baseball talent part of it, you know, we're not going to teach these guys anything crazy, but just more than anything teaching them about what the game's about, what it means to be a professional, how to deal with the grind of this game, not only in between the white lines but outside the white line. Uh, being that you've lived it, uh, I think you can always relate and, uh, and teach it a little better.
1: 1999 and 2000, you had cup of coffees there with the Mets, but then you pretty much stuck from 01 to 04 and you got to learn from Piazza and Valentine and Howe. So, how special were those years uh, and working with those those kind of baseball men like uh, Bobby Valentine and Art Howe? Uh,
0: You know, I think the biggest thing was the the cup of coffees took my career from just being kind of uh, surreal for me to all of a sudden, wow, this is actually real. I'm actually, I got a chance to be a major leaguer. And, so then once uh, I fought, I unfortunately had some injuries, fought through that. Uh, then to be able to play for, you know, Bobby Valentine, Art Howe. Uh, Bobby, for the, for the first part, was uh, obviously, and people know this, is, you know, one of the great minds in baseball. Uh, I would have liked to have seen Bobby not be so controversial because um, I sure would have liked to have seen him live up to his potential as a major league manager. Uh, I probably learned more from Bobby, both good and bad. Uh, as far as the, the good things that that he can teach and and the way he thought the game, uh, the bad being the controversy. You know how, how you can create controversy not only amongst the media but amongst your team. Uh, then we switched to Art Howe, who's uh, obviously Art had great experience in uh, Oakland, uh, came to New York, and, and just a, a totally different demeanor than Bobby. Very laid back, almost almost like your grandfather. Uh, but then again, more than anything it was the players we had there that, that really made that time special.
1: Well, I gotta give you a plug for this. Two thousand and two, you threw out a ridiculous forty nine percent of would be base dealers, the best market of big leagues that year. So what enabled you to be such a good uh, manager of the of the running game?
0: Uh, I think the biggest thing was is I you know I was always a really good thrower. I, I could really catch um and and I just I remember it clicked one time I was throwing and I, I changed a little bit of a mechanics thing. Uh, not a huge deal, but it but it really took my throwing to the next level on my accuracy. So, uh, more than anything, I learned real quick that it's not how good your arm is. Um, once you get to that level, everyone's arm's good. It's how accurate you can be. Uh, once I did that, you know, I, I think, you know, for my career I threw out 40%. And that that is the number one reason. And, again, when you talk about managing, that's what I tell my, my catchers now is, I don't care how good your arm is, I don't care anything about you, what I care about is that you throw the ball right here, right over the bag, that's going to give you the best shot to throw everybody out. In
1: 2005 and 2006, you were with the Tigers, and you finished up your big league career there, working with Pudge Rodriguez, and a guy I'm anxious to hear you talk about. Tell us about Jim Leland.
0: Well, you know, when I got traded over there, I was devastated. I loved playing in New York. I didn't want to leave. Uh, obviously, I played for Alan Tran my first year, which was, was pretty neat to be part of. You know, Alan Tranwell, Kirk Gibson, uh, Lance Parrish, Juan Samuel, I mean, some great coaches. Obviously it didn't work, and they bring in Jim Leland, who I, I knew Jim as far as the legend of Jim Leland, but I didn't know him. Um, and, and really, for everything in my career and for everything that I've gone through, to, to end up playing for Jim Leland is one of the most special things that's happened to me. He's the greatest man I've ever come across in baseball. Uh, I learned more from him, not only as a player, but a man, and now a, a manager uh, on how to handle people and manage baseball. And so very very, very special in my career.
1: Well, you had some injury issues uh, throughout your career and from then on as well. You signed with the Royals before two thousand nine and then you made it into fifty nine games with the Naturals before retiring uh, at the end of spring training in two thousand ten. So how special was it finishing up your career right there in Springdale?
0: No, it was it was incredible. You know, I, I was part of the community that voted for the stadium to be built here, uh, not even thinking, wow, this would be pretty cool someday if you know, knowing I was gonna battle some injuries and end up rehabbing here but uh you know again this this game's really about networking and connections and, and you know i had some injuries and didn't have a team and a guy tony t our field coordinator with the royals who was my wife bridget and his roommate in a ball i huh. uh, gave him a call and they were looking for a veteran catcher and i was looking for a place to rehab and so the stars aligned uh um, and again like i said man it's just I, I didn't take advantage of too many connections in my career but that that was one of the better ones i did
1: Now, how do you – I just added this to my collection. How do you think that bobblehead they made of you portrays you? Are you a fan of the bobblehead there for the Naturals?
0: You know, it's funny. uh, I I obviously never thought I'd have a bobblehead, and when they told me, I was – it's funny. You know, you're very honored. you like, when you look back someday, I had a bobblehead night. (laughs) Uh, But, yeah, it's cool. Actually, it's it's more of a um, conversation piece joke. I have one on my desk, like, hey, there's my bobblehead, guys. (laughs) Um, You have to listen to me as your manager. I'm on bobblehead. So it was pretty
1: cool. Are you jealous that you didn't get the bobble mustache like Brian Poldberg? Can you grow a, a, a nice stash someday, maybe?
0: <laughs> I, I was more jealous that mine looks like a, a six-year-old girl <laughs> made it and baked it in the oven. Poldberg's looks a little better than mine, but uh, well, other than that,
1: it's an official bobblehead. That's great. Now, uh, so your managing a career now. Let's talk more about that. So, first of all, the most important question that Royals fans are dying to know: How many games have you gotten thrown out of in your four years as minor league manager?
0: Oh, man, that's – you're probably uh, – well, I know going into the season it was uh, – I was at 24 and I got five inches am at 29.
1: Are you serious? Um,
0: yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know, again, the, the funny thing is the transformation from a player to a manager is, especially if you're a competitive, intense person like I am, is you take losses personal and you feel really like – especially my first year, we weren't a very good team and when you're not a good team, you don't play well, calls go against you, that's just the luck of the game. And you get to a point where you're like, all right, I got to pick up for my guys. Well, it seemed like it was a weekly basis, so I probably wasn't out of control as far as disrespect, but definitely, I, you know, I, I learned a lot on how to control and how to take umpires. And It did not matter major league level or low A ball. Um, you could get kicked out every game if you wanted to. I mean, it's just the the, the calls of, and the, the quality of, of the calls just isn't what it used to be. So yeah, I've
1: had quite a few, unfortunately. It's kind of an art, isn't it? You know, being able to get nose to nose like that and not spit on anybody and kick some dirt. I mean, it's something you have to pick up, isn't it?
0: <laughs> yeah, it is. You know, in the swinging and all my ejections, I've never done anything like that. I haven't thrown anything on the field. I, I think I'd throw, I threw—I threw my hat down at one time. I haven't <laughs> touched an umpire at nothing, and I actually got suspended one year by a league. And and everyone coming in, especially from the office, that are wanting to say, "Hey, listen, you got to be in control." We don't want your team to take on that identity, which is true. But then they start telling stories about when they got tossed and they're (laughs) pushing umpires and kicking dirt and throwing stuff on the field. And My response is always, you know, I've never done anything like that. Mine is strictly the the argument for the game and my team. So uh, it's definitely an art. I, I haven't taken it that far yet.
1: Well, uh, so let's go through it kind of in order then. You mentioned your uh, your first year was 2011 in Kane County. You guys struggled for a bit, but you ended up uh, making the second round of the Midwest League playoffs that year. So what are your favorite memories of that first season in Kane County?
0: You know, I, I remember sitting on my hotel room bed one morning. We were 9-23, and 23, and I remember just thinking to myself, man, what have I gotten myself into, and what am I doing? Uh, and I sat down with my hitting coach that day, Damon Hollins. And I said, look, we're not going to make the playoffs if I win the first half. I now know that this this is a baseball fundamental-driven entity, and we've got to just hammer fundamentals. If we can do that with this young team, then maybe we'll roll in the second half. And it's exactly what happened. My favorite memory was the second half meeting. To start the second half, we had a meeting, and I showed the guys what numbers worked. That you know, when we only score three runs, we're nine and thirty. When we score four runs, we're sixteen and twelve. And being able to show guys that how numbers work, and that if you just play for a small extra thing in a game, how big it makes in, in the end in your record. Seeing how those guys took that information uh, and, and really turned themselves into a playoff team in the second half is pretty cool.
1: The next two years, you were at beautiful Froley Stadium down there in Wilmington. What's your favorite uh, memory of the Wilmington years? Uh,
0: same kind of thing, man. I mean, just uh, watching players grow. Um, uh, the biggest thing is, is uh, watching guys like you know Lane Adams and Kyle Zimmer come through there, and guys now that are in our higher levels, you know with Merrifield, and actually having success and, and 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 really putting pressure on our organization to take them serious as major league players. Uh, being able to manage those guys and now watch watch them move out of there and, and do what they're doing is is my special memories of there.
1: You mentioned a guy, uh, Whit Merrifield, right there. That He's a guy that was obviously a College World Series hero, but a guy that was kind of unheralded when he was first drafted. You didn't see him at the top of those draft lists. Maybe a guy kind of similar like you in a way, but now he just continues to hit and hit and hit up there in Omaha. What, what's he like, in, and could you see the potential even back then?
0: Yeah, you know, I think Whit, um, and again, I, I, you get this with a lot of college guys, not just Wit is you know, college makes it all about the player. Uh, and when they come in, it's and especially with today's social media. The, the biggest thing we fight with these players is everything is about them, and getting them to turn everything back out onto the game, not just the team but the game. And I think witt has got that now. I think it the one thing he lacked. I mean, he now shows up and plays to win the game, and, and does everything he can to do on the field. And you know, I had him for a little month and a half this year, man, and it was it was watch where he's taking his game and and Obviously goes to AAA and not knowing if he's gonna get more playing time or not, and with whatever's happening up there, man, he's he's really doing it. So, I'm I'm very proud of that kid.
1: Love the way he hustles too um now yeah, after. one thing i want to ask you about is you underwent two tommy john surgeries which is obviously like seems like drinking water these days like it's sad how many guys seem to have it um so do you feel like going through that horrible experience then twice really helps you as a manager and, and helping to relate to the players and, and mainly the pitchers
0: yeah I, I think so um and the biggest thing. And I tell my guys that they actually should rename it because I don't think Tommy John had two of them. So if you have two of them, they should rename it the Vance Wilson. But
1: <laughs> I don't think
0: that's going to happen. But. No, I think the the biggest thing that it's taught me, um, and I kind of knew it even as my point career, is this game is built on adversity. It doesn't matter what you're doing. At some point during the day, you're going to face adversity, whether it's a strikeout or it's a loss or it's the extreme of you blowing your elbow out or blowing it out twice. Um, and so, just getting getting guys to understand. Look, man, this game is this game has more adversity than anything in life on a daily basis. You're you're going to face it every single day, and it, it what impact and, and how you react to it on a small scale of a strikeout or a huge scale of uh, of being out a year. You know, really, it's not the I know there's that cliche saying that it's not really what happens to you, it's how you react to it. Uh, I, I think that's what I learned in this Tommy John deal.
1: Now, they all say that catchers know how to manage pitching staffs and make the best managers, which I'm betting you won't argue with. But uh, So in your own words, why do you think the catchers seem to be managing more and more jobs you know, right now than ever before?
0: Well, m- managing is ultimately just multitasking information in a very small amount of time. And so from calling the running game to making sure your defense where it is, being able to take stats and matchup numbers, and do all this within a four-second period in between pitches. That ultimately is what managing is, and that ultimately is what catching is. So if you're catching a baseball game, you're looking at defensive positions, you're trying to remember game plans, uh, running game, what pitch to call, setting hitters up, who's on deck. You know, I mean, so ultimately, if you pay attention to what you're supposed to be doing as a catcher, you're managing a baseball game. It's just not the, the final decision is not on your shoulder. Where now it is as a manager, and so uh, I think that's why catchers do it um, are the best is because of that multitask ability and also they realize I think the good ones is the game manages itself and if you just if you let the game roll and you do what the game tells you to do typically you'll have success uh, I mean the calls you make and the decisions you make
1: That might be the best explanation I've ever heard of that before. That made total sense, actually. Uh, So you hear of managers then, you know, some people call certain guys players' managers and then managers that are old school and managers that think outside the box. So what kind of manager do you kind of feel like you are and then what do you hope people say about you that play for you and think of you?
0: Well, you know, the the biggest thing is I I don't think you can really use the term old school anymore, unfortunately, which I I did my first years because – Players have changed, and stats have changed, and and the way we go about evaluating people have changed. I am a traditionalist. You know, I I do think there's only one way to play the game. Uh, I, I would hope players would say he's a players' manager because he cares about us. I really try to pattern myself like Jim Leland. Jim has this hard, stoic look about him during the game. He's intense. He has very high expectations. He's very loyal by accountability. If you hold yourself accountable, he'll be loyal to you forever. Uh, but then kind of away from that dugout, man. He cares about you as a person. He cares about your family. Uh, He'll do anything for you. Uh, To me, I I would hope that's what people say about me. Um, You know, again, you you evaluate yourself as a manager every day and and making sure that you're hopefully holding yourself to those standards, Uh, and I feel as I have so far.
1: Well, take us through like a typical day. So uh, a 7 o'clock game, we'll say, at night. So it seems like Ned Yost gets in here about noon and is there till like 11, 30, 12. What's your typical day like as far as hours go? And walk us through, walk us through kind of what you do once you arrive up until game time.
0: Yeah, you know, I'm usually at the field by 11. I'm a little earlier. Um, one thing about minor league staff is, you know, we, we have to do a lot of more of the preparing ourselves where – uh, the major league game has gone to where analytics you know, gives you all your information and, and you don't have to do a lot of preparing on your own. So between Jim Brower, myself, and, and Andre David, our hitting coach, uh, we get in there and get ready for the game. Um, we usually start our cage work around 2 o'clock for a 7 o'clock game. Our batting practice, uh, I'm sorry, our early work then ends up about 3 o'clock. We usually get guys out individually. We'll work on defensive stuff. Catchers will do some stuff. Pitchers may have uh, some... Pitchers' fielding practice. They'll throw their bullpens, and then we'll take batting practice about 4:20. Get off the field somewhere around 5 or 5:10, um, and then back out for the 7 o'clock game. Obviously, manage the game, and then after that, uh, we have we have to do internet game reports. Um, that usually takes about 30 minutes. Uh, I can't do mine right away. I'm I, I'm really good at, at managing on the fly during the game, but then when the game's over, I gotta kind of sit there and process it for a little while, probably longer than other guys do. Uh, it, that may be the junior college's degree in my brain other than <laughs> a uh, four-year degree. But, uh, you know, I, you know I'm, I've always been a clubhouse rat. You know, I love staying there. I love talking the game. Uh, I'm fortunate that we do have front office guys that come in that want to sit and talk the game. And so I usually don't get home until about midnight. Wow.
1: Well, I wanted to ask you before, before we let you go about five or six of your guys that we keep hearing about. Uh, yeah. Now, first of all, what are your early thoughts? I think he's had two starts for you now on, on Christian Benford.
0: Yeah, obviously um, the kids in pitching the futures game yesterday. I I had not seen him pitch. Uh, he's very deceptive. Um, you know, he'll run his fastball up to ninety three, but it plays it plays a lot harder. Meaning guys swings make it look like it might be ninety five or ninety six. Very deceptive off speed. They don't take good swings at his off speed. Um, for a young kid, knows what he wants to do. Very confident. Uh, just a, a really good feeling for pitching, which we like to call pitchability. Uh, really, that's probably his best tool is his ability to pitch.
1: Now, I'm sure you know, another guy we want to ask you about, as I'm sure you know, is uh, Hunter Dozier. What are your thoughts on him?
0: Well, Dozier's that kid that I think someday when I look back here, you can be like, wow, I actually was really lucky to manage a guy that that, that goes on to be the type of player he is. Uh, he, he's a coach's dream in the fact that he comes to the field every single day And he backs up what a coach wants every player to do, and he's there to win, he's there to get better. He's no-nonsense. He literally lives, eats, and sleeps the game. And more than all that is his baseball instincts are off the charts. I mean, you can tell him one thing, and he changes it, and you never have to remind him again. Um, Obviously, the tools are there, and and I think Kansas City fans will will be lucky enough to watch him play in the major leagues for a long time for us.
1: A guy that you know pretty well, obviously, and is Lane Adams, who I even read uh, J.J. and Scott talking about recently in the Kansas City Star saying, you know, even right now we could use him for a month in a pinch. He's not too far away. So, you know, he's obviously been on fire lately. Talk about Lane Adams and, and his development.
0: Well, I would say about a little over a month ago, um, our hitting guy sat down and they talked a little more about changing the way he times the ball. And for the last month, it's probably the first player I've had where I'm able to say, all right, you know, that, that guy's a major league player. Um, and and that guy is the best guy on the field. It did not matter who we're playing at what point, he's the best player on the field. So Lane, you know, I've had him quite a bit, and he's a very raw player, obviously, with a basketball background, and I think he's finally shed that tag that his baseball IQ has gone up. He's learned a lot about himself. uh, He's just really learned what the game is about. So his last month has been the most impressive month of any player I've ever had.
1: Now, I know you guys recently moved uh, Chesler Cuthbert over to second base from third base. How's he doing over there at second, and, uh, and does he profile as a second baseman going forward?
0: You know, I'm not, I, you know, I'm not experienced enough to say does he profile as he does. He's also playing some first base. Uh, I think the biggest thing what we've done is, is Chesler being on the 40, man, is, is just tried to kind of equip his toolbox of talents just in case. I think his best position is third base defensively. Uh, he's done a nice job at first base. Um, he's a young kid, so he's, it's not really the catching of the ground ball and the throwing. It's more of the uh, where you got to be, the awareness of, of what a first baseman has to do, and a second baseman. So I don't think Chester's a utility guy, uh, but I think if I had to guess, he, he's probably more of a corner guy, although he's shown some great hands at second base. Um, he's, he's picked it up real well, so he's talented.
1: Uh, one guy that I, maybe the numbers aren't there for what he wants them to be, but one guy I read another good scouting report on last week, actually, is Jorge Bonifacio. How's he coming along this year?
0: Uh, he's doing good. You know, obviously his average isn't where it was. He, he had a really good first month and a half. He was in the league leaders, RBIs, And I think what we're finding with, with uh, Bonnie is, you know, he just turned 21. And they always say, it's all old scouts are both that, you know, everyone has one stretch where they've struggled. And it's the best thing that ever happens to him in their career, and I think Ori is going through that. He's he's battled making adjustments, uh, mechanical and mental, uh, and just the struggles of hey, look, man, you've been really good all the way up, and now you get to this level. Everybody's good, and if you don't make those adjustments, pitchers will eat you up. And so I actually I think we'll look back in a year here and think you know that was probably the best thing that ever happened to him. I mean, we've all been through it. All the good players have been through it. Uh, I just think it's another another part of his development. But very talented, talented right fielder uh, for a bigger kid. He can run really well. Uh, and, and He's got a very high baseball IQ um, for a young, young
1: kid. Now, uh, you mentioned earlier the guys that kind of struggle sometimes when it's cooler and do better when it warms up. Another guy to a T is Jason Adam, it seems like, last year, really finished strong, and he's been finishing strong here recently. Talk about his development.
0: I think uh, the, the Royals were good about letting our pitching coach make some adjustments on him that he needed. He was scuffling. Uh, the biggest thing with Jason is over the years they they really haven't missed his fastball. When when he throws his fastball to play, he gets hit. Um, and between Jason and Jim Brower making finally making some adjustments that have helped him. I mean, he's been he's been as good as I've seen as a pitcher I've had his last six, seven, eight starts. I mean, he's he's up to ninety five. Um, I mean, he's had some high strikeout games. They're not. Touching his fastball, he's got a, a wipeout slider, Major League slider. Uh, I think for Jason, I think he's finally turned the corner from developing pitcher to polishing him as hopefully a Major League pitcher.
1: Last two questions about your players. Talk about your uh, your catchers there.
0: Yeah, you know, one gradual I had, he just went to AAA. Uh, he's been in the organization a while. We got Parker Morn. Uh, you know, another young kid at 22. Unfortunately, broke his thumb. Two months ago, we just got him back about a week and a half ago, and he's jumped right back in. Has had a couple big hits the last couple nights. Uh, really good at working the pitchers. Good game caller. Uh, and then Micah Gibbs, Holly touted prospect uh, with the Cubs, uh, who just career never took off. We ended up signing him. I think out of independent. Uh, really, I it around, but I call him an idiot savant. You know, you tell him something, you just see that brain <laughs> turning. He's a thinker, but but really helps our pitching staff. He's a switch hitter. Uh, and so, really, for even though he's an he's an older kid at 25, he's still young in the game, um, playing wise. And so, really, what, what I'm fortunate to have is, is two guys that can really make our pitching staff better. Uh, not meaning that we don't try to develop our catchers to be big leaguers, but when you can get a couple uh, catchers that really help your prospect pitchers, uh, you know that, that's a huge thing for this organization. I'm lucky to have them.
1: And the other player question then would be. Uh, I, I'm not going to ask you to tag one guy because I know that's tough. You know, as far as somebody you don't hear about much, but who who are who are a guy or two that have really come along this year that you know that have really a bright future that some Royals fans haven't heard a lot about.
0: Well, you know, I think you know I'll go the the main thing here, and uh, with that being, you know, Lane Adams, even though he's a 40 man and people know him, I, I think what Lane's becomes a player instead of just a potential, uh, I think is a huge thing. Uh, I think when we step back on on the other side of what you're saying, there there's you know, we we have our prospects that everyone hears about, but I also think this Dozier kid, even though he's a highly touted prospect, I, I don't think people realize how good he's going to be. Uh, I know there was a lot of stuff in the draft that teams can't believe we picked him as high as we could. Um, I'm now able to look at him and be like, I can't believe teams passed him as high as they did. Um, and so between those two guys, even though they're known. Uh, I just think, I, I don't think people realize how good they are and how good they've become this year more than anything.
1: Well, in closing, first of all, thanks for all your time. This has been great. Second of all, what would you like to say uh, to Royals fans listening right now?
0: Well, I just think, that, uh, you know, obviously from an organization, we appreciate the patience over the last couple of years. Uh, I, I know obviously us being in second place going to the All-Star break is it, huge for us. Um, Jim Whelan told me one time that that all you do with your team is you try to position yourself to give yourself a chance by September 1st. And I think if we keep that in mind uh, with what we have pitching-wise, the way our defense is, and the fact that our hitting is now turned around and coming, uh, just look for that September 1st deadline. And if we're where we need to be and where we think we'll be, September is going to be exciting.
1: Well, I hope we can keep you in the organization for a long time. I know you'll continue to move up, and it's great talking to you and great having you as a Royal, and thanks for everything.
0: Dave, I appreciate it.